Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. That'll preach, but it wasn't in a sermon. It was in a Colin Kaepernick Nike ad. So with a statement like that, for a brand, you really could fill in the blank with whatever you wanted to believe in at that point. So that could be helpful, or it might not be helpful to encourage somebody to waste their life in the wrong direction. It really just depends. See, here's the issue. Encouragement is only encouraging if it's true. That's it, right? Encouragement is only encouraging if it's true. So we have people trying to encourage you to do things that you just fill in the blank for, and it might be helpful, but it might be pushing somebody off a cliff, <laughs> a cliff to tell them to take, put one foot in front of the other is a bad thing to say to someone standing in front of a cliff. So sometimes you need to stop and turn around. Don't put one foot in front of the other. There could be a cliff over there. But indeed, the Lord has done things, put things in place to encourage his people. The Lord has set up encouragement for you. Real encouragement, true encouragement that doesn't tell you to put one foot in front of the other over a cliff. So let's look at Acts chapter 18 in which the Apostle Paul is struggling here in this chapter. And he is afraid and wanting to give up. You say, well, how do you know that? Because when the Lord Jesus shows up, he says, don't be afraid and keep going. So what does it mean that Paul's actually dealing with here in this passage? Well, he's afraid, probably anxious and wanting to quit. I mean, a man can only get beat so many times before he wants to get out of the ring. And if you are here today serving the Lord, serving his church, And you feel beat down, struggling, apathetic, hurt, or what have you. There are three encouragements in Acts chapter 18 for you. Because of this overarching truth in the passage that the Lord strengthens his servants. The Lord strengthens his servants. Let's look at how he does that in Acts chapter 18 today. And here's why we are looking at these encouragements given to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18. Because we are tempted to look at someone like him and think that he is made of something different than us. 
like not to connect with him because he is the greatest theologian that the New Testament church has ever known. And I can barely tie my shoes. So what does he have to do with me? And what does he have to do with you? Well, we are in need of encouragement. And the Lord is the giver of the said encouragement. So here in the passage, he's been ran off by the Jews from Thessalonica. And the last two places he's been, he's been on the road a while. And it's what we call his second missionary journey. He is alone. He wrote what we could look at like a journal entry in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, as he's here in Corinth. And here's what he says. He says his first moments in Corinth, he says, while I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. How's your day going? Because here's, here's how it's going for him. He's there with them in fear and weakness and in much trembling. He is not 10 feet tall and bulletproof. He is a man like you. He's a man like you. He's a person like you. And we see the truth in this passage that, uh, that persecution and success are often next door neighbors in the Christian life. They live pretty close to each other. Persecution, success. Persecution and success live close to each other. And for us to avoid one, that would be the persecution part, right? Nobody wants to move in next door to persecution. We would kind of like to live near success, though, wouldn't we, in the Christian life? But they live so close together, to avoid one is to avoid the other. Likewise, discouragement and encouragement are always available in your life. As you desire to serve the Lord, discouragement and encouragement are always available for you. They're always available for the servant. Why is that? Because ministry is hard. Serving the Lord is hard. It's hard. It is potentially discouraging. There might not be results. There might be fake results. And everything in between. Paul could be discouraged here in Corinth in Acts chapter 18 because of how ungodly the culture is in Corinth. Right? 18.1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, in Corinth, it was kind of like the New Testament Las Vegas of the day. What happens in Corinth? You want to stay in Corinth. You don't want what happens to, in Corinth to follow you home. You don't. As you probably know, uh, there was a word created for the fornication that happened in Corinth. It was called to Corinthianize, and it meant to be promiscuous. So Paul was probably discouraged because he gets beat in one place and he comes into a merry-go-round of 
fornication in another. So much so, if you've read his letters to first in. 2 Corinthians, you see, I believe, in chapter 5 of the first one that the church is tolerating this fornication. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. Why? For a man has his father's wife. So here Paul is in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, and the Corinthians, the church, looks like the world, and he is discouraged by that. So here you are in America, and in our country, at times, there's not really a difference between the church and the world. And you could get discouraged by the very same thing if you wanted to, or if you let yourself, or if you paid attention to the right things, it could get you down. He was discouraged. The culture was ungodly. The church was ungodly. That's why he writes to them in 1 Corinthians, and he said, those who are called to be saints, be that. So what, how is he strengthened in this passage by the Lord in the midst of an ungodly church and an ungodly culture in the place of Corinth? Well, he, the Lord strengthens his servants by giving us his workers. Verse 2 introduces a married couple named Priscilla and Aquila, and they were fleeing persecution in Rome. They're a husband and wife team that would become Paul's closest friends, and they started a church in their house, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. So what happens here is Paul called them fellow workers in Romans 16 who risked their lives for him. Here in Acts 18, verse 3 says they had the same job, so they stayed and worked with him. Do you notice in these verses what else they had in common with the apostle Paul? Persecution. Persecution. They weren't just tent makers, they were persecuted Christians fleeing. So Paul was on the lamb from the Jews in Thessalonica. Priscilla and Aquila were fleeing Claudius in Rome at this point. And the way that the Lord provided for Paul was by giving him other believers who was going through similar things as he was in his life. And he has done the same thing for you. Do you know how the Lord has encouraged me in my time here at Farmdale? Some of you. Some of you here in this very room. That's how he's done it. That's the example we see from Paul. When you're being persecuted, you're struggling, you're mourning, you're tempted. What are you tempted to do when you're hurting? To isolate yourself. To isolate yourself from the other people in the church. You might not even want to get out of bed. But that's contrary to the scriptures. And you're removing yourself from the group of people that God has put in front of you to encourage you. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He doesn't want to cause the Corinthian church pain because if he pains them, who's going to make him glad and cheer him? They're all he has. So why would I want to hurt you? You're who's supposed to encourage me. 
And you could look out at your neighbor in this very room and say the same thing. Why why would I want to do something against you? You're who the Lord put in place to encourage me here. So do you want a prescription written today for discouragement? You probably wouldn't. But here's how you would fill this prescription for discouragement. You want to you know how to get discouraged in the church? Isolate yourself. You know how else to in- discourage yourself in the church? Be here and still isolate yourself. Because you go, well, uh, um, I'm looking out at a group of people who didn't isolate themselves physically on a day like this. So it's like you're preaching to the choir and we're not even in the loft. But just because you're in a seat doesn't mean that you're connecting with the church body and not isolating yourselves. I wouldn't want to presume and just assume that, right? That you're physically here, but that you're actually connected to this group of people. I wouldn't want to assume that at all. Because you could be here and hurting and not telling anybody. You could be here and struggling and not reaching out to anybody. And the people around you don't know what you're going through and they don't even know the right questions to ask. If that's true, here's a good one to start with. How you doing? Here's a good follow-up, because you'll probably lie about that one. How you really doing? Right? Let's do that among each other, right? Not only how you doing, let's go ahead and get that. I'm doing good. How about you? Out of the way, liars. (laughs) And then we'll go to a second level of how you really doing? You really doing all right? Doing okay? Because when the Apostle Paul gets ready to go through, uh, he's in the midst of wanting to quit. He's fearing and anxious. What does the Lord do? He sends people. Priscilla, Aquila, tent makers, persecuted. Side by side with him. So we see this in our own life that we need to not isolate ourselves from the church. And some of you say, you may push back, there's always pushback, and here is the pushback that we're going to get from this. I am an introvert. I'm an introvert, so that's very difficult for me. Well, let me go through three levels of this for us. You have your introverts who get energized in isolation. You have the extroverts who get energized with people around them. And then you have the Christ converts who are completely rewired with holy longings for the body of Christ. So which one do you want to be? Do you want to be an introvert, an extrovert, or a Christ convert? You see, I think we should be Christ converts. And what does he do for us? He rewires the introvert and the extrovert to only thrive and fully live connected to his body. That's what he does. 
And, and he wrote that to this church at Corinth. It's funny that he would learn this lesson here in Acts chapter 18, because if you go to the body of Christ passages in 1 Corinthians, he says the very same thing, that the pinky toe, the ear, and the elbow all should be connected to the same thing. So we see this truth illustrated in the actual book of 1 Corinthians that we see an example of in the first eight chap uh, verses here in chapter 18 of Priscilla and Aquila coming by, that we uh, are in this together, come whatever. So, and I'm not saying that solitude is wrong or sinful, but I'm saying that solitude, when the body is gathering, if you choose to be like, I I'm going to start having quiet times alone on Sunday mornings at 1030. Or 1130. However, right from 10 to noon, I'm going to just I'm just going to have so solid solitude, quiet time together. If you chose to do that. That solitude would be selfish and sinful if that's what you chose to do. You should get alone and get with the Lord to get on a, a daily basis and throughout the day. But you shouldn't seek solitude when you're supposed to be connected to a body. So in verse 4, Paul is with, working with Priscilla and Aquila. He's part-time reasoning in the synagogue on the Sabbath days. And after this, the number around him grows all the more in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So he's tent making or working with leather to get by. And then Silas and Timothy show up. And according to 2 Corinthians 11, they brought with them an offering so that Paul could devote himself to the ministry without being hindered by another occupation. So the word Luke uses here in verse 5 says that he was consumed or engrossed by testifying that the Christ was Jesus. So how does God encourage the believer here in this passage? Well, first, there is Priscilla, Aquila, Silas, and Timothy. And what else is here in verse 5 that we find out in the book of 2 Corinthians actually happens here. There is an offering. There is giving that happens here that Silas and Timothy bring from Macedonia so Paul doesn't have to be bivocational anymore. So what is here in the text for us that we ought to be doing? We ought to be in each other's lives because it takes all of us and it takes generosity from all of us. It takes physical presence and, and the generous gifts that we ought to give each other. So what do we see here in verse 5? That there are people and funds funneled into Paul's ministry so he can engross himself in the word. And so it ought to be among us. That we ought to give to the Lord in his church both of our time and our talents and our treasures, because it takes all of us both living and giving together. That's what it does. 
So that's what he does here in the passage. And it shows us that we not only get encouragement from each other, but our funds make things happen positively in ministry. That's what happens to the Apostle Paul. So Paul spoke the gospel to the Jews, and what happens when he engrosses himself in this, they uh, reject him. So he decides to go to the Gentiles and to shake his clothes out from them. So his love of Israel won't let him go very far. Where does Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul go here in Acts chapter 18? He goes next door to the synagogue to Titius Justice and Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. And what happens? He believes. In the Lord, with his whole house, they believed in the Lord. It's important to note that at first Paul was reviled, and then he kept going until someone believed. He kept going until someone believed. There was an unknown amount of them right here. Titius, Justice, Crispus, and all his family in this place. So the Lord strengthens Paul by giving him his workers... And he strengthens us by giving us his workers. And he strengthens us by giving us his word. His word in verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So this is how we know what's going on in the heart of the apostle. The Lord Jesus shows up and he says, don't be afraid and keep going. Don't be silent. So he is wanting to quit and he is afraid. In verse 11, the result of this conversation is twofold. Obedience to Jesus' commands and longevity. So this is what we want to do with each other, for each other, is we want to encourage each other toward obedience to Jesus' commands and longevity. We want to be faithful, and we want to keep on being faithful, and we don't want to quit being faithful. So how do we do that? Well, we do that for each other, and we do that from the Word of God. Paul stays in Corinth for a year and a half, quite a bit longer than anywhere else on his missions journeys. And what did it for him? He heard from the Lord. So if you're discouraged in life and ministry, yes, you need to have people around you. You need them. They need you. You need each other. And you need to look for conversions in the midst of persecution like he did here. But what's going to encourage you the most? The Word of God. The Word of God. Many of us are discouraged at this moment because we're here, but not really here. And we're in the Word, but we're not really in the Word. We do do our time in the pew and with our Bibles open, but we don't really do our time. Meaning, we may skim through it and we may spend time in it but our heart is elsewhere on other things so here's your prescription for discouragement in the passage is isolate yourself from the church and from the scriptures if you want to be discouraged go ahead isolate yourself from the church and from the scriptures if you want to be encouraged what would you then do well then you would connect to 
the Lord's workers here in the church, and you would connect to the Word of God. And you're not likely to get a personal visit from the Lord Jesus, and I understand that. And you look at that and you go, well, Jesus like physically showed up to him in a vision. The only thing I saw today was my phone. Let me say that Paul didn't have the full Bible that we do, so we don't need a personal physical visit from the Lord Jesus if we understand what we have here in the Scriptures. To say that we want the physical body of the Lord Jesus to be next to us, which, man, that sounds good and it looks good, but all it does is it, show, it shows us that we don't understand our scriptures and we don't understand the Holy Spirit that we have in our hearts, self-included. Why? Because it sounds so, so good that Jesus would show up to me physically. But he said, it's for your benefit that I go away, that the helper would come. So we don't really understand just what we have in the scriptures and in the Holy Spirit. Because if we did, then we would be not just content, but joyful that the Lord Jesus left and gave us the Holy Spirit. And that he left and gave us the word of God. And we would be connected to that if we understood exactly what it was that we have here. The Lord tells Paul that the reason he shouldn't be afraid in verse 9 is because Jesus is with him. He's reminding Paul of the promise at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus tells all his disciples, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded them. And here it is, behold, or lo, depending on your Bible, right? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we claim that promise for ourselves. And we cling to that. And potentially we cling to that, ripping it, kicking and screaming out of the context that it's in. Why do I say that? Because the presence of Jesus is promised in Matthew 28 for the disciple maker, for the goer who makes disciples. It's not for the lazy man. It's not for the lazy woman. That's not the promise of his presence. The promise of his presence is for the faithful disciple maker of his. So the question is, does that promise apply to you? It'll be with you to the end of the age in Matthew 28. Does the promise that he says here in verse 9 apply to you? Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. But does your eyes automatically go down and look at those verses and read them like this. And the Lord said to Paul one night, don't be afraid. I am with you. Do you see that? See how that's more convenient? Easier? Easier for you? Easier for me? Like, look at the verse. It says, and 
he saw in a vision, don't be afraid. I am with you. But here's the problem. It doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't say that at all. What does it say? Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do, not just that. Don't be silent. Why? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. When you go, you make disciples, you teach them, you baptize them. I'm going to be with you. We just want him to be with us in our laziness and our apathy. But that is not what he's saying here in the verse. What he's saying here when he gives us his word to encourage us is that you got to go on. You got to keep on. You got to speak on. And I'm going to be with you. That's what he's saying. Go on. Keep on. Speak on. I'm with you. I'm with you in that. So the promise here is for the Christian obediently carrying out the command that Jesus is with them in that pursuit. It echoes the last words of John Wesley. Best of all, God is with us. That's what he said on his deathbed. So when we go on, the encouragement for you as you're faithful to the Lord in speaking, he's with you. He's with you. He's not going to leave you. And let me encourage you with verse 10. Let me encourage you with verse 10. He says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. And you go, well, okay, there it was. Didn't know the blab it and grab it, name it and claim it was coming out in this place. Really disappointed in you, Rob. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus promises you that if you're faithful to him, he'll be faithful to you and always keep you alive. And you're never going to die. You're never going to be persecuted. But I will tell you this truth, that when we are doing this, that you will be preserved. You will be preserved. He said, no one will attack you to harm you. So he'll be present and you'll be preserved as long as you live. In the Christian life, in your taking up your cross, following him, he'll be present and you'll be preserved. So here's how I'll encourage you with verse 10. You will live as long as the Lord has work for you to do. You will live as long as he has work for you to do. And as long as you have work to do, you'll live. And while you're doing all of that, you, will, you are immortal until he wants you to not be. Nothing can kill you as long as he wants you to live. As long as he wants you to live, nothing is going to put you to death. As long as he wants you to live. As long as you live, you got work to do. And as long as you got work to do, you will live. You will live long enough to do the work that the Lord has for you to do. You'll live long enough. He's going to be with you and you'll be preserved. That's what we see in the passage. And what else is the encouragement for us here? 
that he gives us in his word. In verse 10. He says in verse 10, For I have many people, for I have many in the city who are my people. So what's encouraging about that is that God is the one who ultimately accomplishes his work. God is the one who does that. You might hear that in question. What does it mean that God has many people in Corinth? I mean, it looks like prostituting drunks as far as I could see. So what does it mean that he has people in that city? Right? If you look out at Vegas, you go, hey, see all these coveting gamblers? Got a bunch of people in here. You'd be like, uh, no, it doesn't look like it, does it? Didn't we already establish how ungodly that this city is? It's famous for prostitution, fornication, and the only Christians we know about are the handful of people in Paul and the ones that are promoting incest in 1 Corinthians 5. I mean, they're just, they're not even moral enough to be Mormons. No. They're not even moral enough to be Mormons. So why would he say that he's got many people in this city? These are those that he describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians, Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined them for adoptions as sons. Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, that is to know beforehand, he also predestined to become conformed into the image of his son. For the world was created in the mind of God is both the, his knowledge of us and his choice of us as sons and daughters. And some of us reject that truth from the scriptures because we say if God is the one doing that, then nothing we say or do matters. That is the typical pushback when someone says something like that. Here's the problem. He says here in the passage, go on preaching. I've got people here. Do you see how that works? Go on preaching. I've got people. So both of those things are true. What's our job? The preaching. What's his job? The getting. The having. He tells Paul, go on speaking, I've got them. So for us, we don't need to worry about who he has or who he doesn't have in this city. We need to not be silent. Very simple. We do the speaking, he does the having of people. Paul stayed and taught them the word of God as a result of his sovereignty. Now, listen to this from Derek Thomas. He said, God had plans for the church at Corinth that Paul knew nothing about. As of yet, they were still unbelievers waiting for Paul to preach the gospel to them. Even though these people might be reasonably counted outsiders, the Lord calls them his own because they were written in the book of life and were about to be admitted into his family. You need to be encouraged from God's word that he has people. That he has people. He's the one that has them. He writes their name in the book. You don't know what's in the book. You don't know who's in the book. You don't know who's not in the book. 
You just know that your job is the speaking and his job is the having. The purchasing, the owning. God is going to bring people into his family. That should encourage us. That he does that. God's the one that produces children. He gives them the right to be called children of God. They weren't born of the, fle of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And he's the one that does it. As John Piper put it, we are part of something that cannot fail. We don't have to smudge the numbers to prop him up. God will do it. And we should be encouraged that he will do it. Three ways he's encouraged by the word in this is that Jesus is with us in his presence. We are going to be preserved and God is the one that's going to accomplish his work through us. That's how we're encouraged from the word of God. And the Lord strengthens us by his workers and his word in that way. And what else does he do? He strengthens us by giving us his promises. During his 18 months at Corinth, the attack came, as we expected it to, in verse 12. It says the Jews made a united attack against Paul. And it was in this attack that he was preserved. They accused him before Gallio, the governor, that he was teaching people to worship God falsely. The governor refuses to get involved and not be a part of a Jewish fight in theology. Verse 18 says, Paul stayed many days longer teaching the word of God. So Paul was both attacked and sustained by God in this section as a result of his sustained ministry. You see how this encouragement is supposed to work, right? It's supposed to result in the furthering of the making of disciples because God will preserve you like he promises to do. His promises are good and he gives them to us and he always keeps them. That's what we see in this passage. We are sustained by each other and the scriptures and the very fact from that that God, what God tells us he will do. That's why we go. That's why we continue. And what is the result from that? Disciples are made. Disciples are made. Not warm, fuzzy, footy pajamas, warm milk before bed, like that everything's going to be okay. The promise is good for us, and the result of it should be the making of disciples among all the nations. So if you're struggling today, because now you're discouraged, right? Because we go through this and we're like, this is for someone who is active, actively making disciples, actively speaking for the Lord in their family and in their workplace. And that's not me. I'll give you another encouragement. There is now time and opportunity to repent. It's available. It's available to you. It's available to you today. To miss this is to run into the problem that, uh, uh, that is famous for church vans. I have driven <laughs> church vans before, um, and I'm not a car guy, and I, don't, I know very little about cars, barely can operate one. Um, but one of the things I know about them is if you do not drive them, 
they will dry rot. One of the first churches I was a part of, I, uh, their church van became a habitat for small animals. Anything that could fit in the tailpipe. Just imagine what could fit in the tailpipe of a van. Well, that's what was living in the said church van. So what, what was happening to the van? It was dying. And why was it dying? Because it wasn't being used. It was dry rotting. You might as well junk it if you're not going to use it. Because one day it's just going to die. That's true of church vans. But it's true of our life as well. Could the encouragement you need to get going, to get serving, to get going in connecting to his workers, to connecting to his word and actually trusting what you find in there that he's going to keep his promises. That's maybe the encouragement that you need today. The Lord sustained Paul through attack so that he could make disciples of the Lord and he will sustain you for that same purpose. Now, in, in the midst of this, if we're not engaged in this, we probably feel as stagnant as the tires on a church van. If that is you, he gives you this day to engage with his body, to engage with his word and trust in the promises therein. And there will be strength and encouragement and purpose for you to keep going. Not so you can just believe in whatever you want, spend your life in however you like it, because some things are worth sacrificing everything for. There is one thing worth sacrificing everything for, and that is the Lord, his word and his promises and his causes in the world. So we shouldn't fill in that blank with whatever we want to do and just do it. And where Nike's on the way. But instead, we should just do this. We were placed together for a purpose. And that purpose was to serve the Lord together. So some of you need to, to dig in, connect in, plug in, in this body. If you're a Christian, you need to dig in, plug in to the scriptures Trust those promises therein. But if you are not a Christian, it sounds like the manual and a pep talk for something you're not really interested in. Here is why that there is one thing worth you believing in and sacrificing everything for. Because the God who created everything and everyone is holy. And he's righteous and just. And one day you will stand before him. And he loved the world and he gave his only son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross for all of your rebellion against God. And he rose victorious on the third day. And he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he is one day returning to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. Everyone will stand before him. Some will awake to eternal life and some will awake to eternal death on that day when we see him. If you're not a Christian, you need to turn from your sin and turn from everything you've done against God 
and trust solely in the person of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray here in just a second, and I'm going to be over to the side, and our music uh, leaders are going to come. If you want to respond over here with me, you can, and, or pull, pull me aside afterwards. If you are a Christian who is dry-rotting like the tires on a church van, you need to come get me as well and say, plug me in to somebody, to something, to serve, so I don't waste my life on the things that don't matter. I'd love to help you with that and talk to you about that. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you because you are the one thing worth believing in that we ought to sacrifice everything for. I pray that you would do work among us to encourage us, not with false encouragement, not with fluff, not with something that will puff us up. God, but I pray that you would build us up so that disciples could be made in this place and in the neighborhoods here and across the nations. Please do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.